Hey, we're 208 Ensemble. From Boise, Idaho. And you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Community radio for Boise and beyond. Hey, this is Justin Vaughn, and I am one of the hosts of a new Radio Boise program called The Big Tent. I'm here with my colleagues, Corey Cook and Jen Schneider. We're all professors at Boise State University, and we're going to tell you a little bit about who we are and why we're doing this show to start things off. I'm a professor of political science. I study American politics and uh, write and think a lot about um, what's happening nationally as well as here in Idaho. Uh, we do uh, a lot of work in the School of Public Service, we'll talk more about that in a moment, um, that tries to take what we know as academics and translate it into a, uh, a, 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 the, the real world where policymakers and, and um, the folks on the ground here in Idaho can find what we, what we do useful and uh, helpful and, and, and move us towards a better future for Idaho. Jen, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Uh, my name is Jen Schneider, and I spend most of my time directing the PhD program in public policy and administration. Uh, when I have time to do research, though, I uh, write a lot about national energy policy, and in particular, uh, focus on fossil fuel industries and the changes that they're undergoing as a result of economic and political shifts. Uh, I also do a lot of work with scientists and engineers in a field called environmental communication. So there's a lot of translation work between the technical work that they're doing and the policy world or the way communities make decisions. Hi, my name is Corey Cook. I'm the dean of the School of Public Service. I'm a political scientist by training. You know, most of my research is in you know, urban politics, economic development. I study housing policy. Uh, part of what I like about living in the Treasure Valley is seeing a region that is booming and how it addresses some of the urban challenges we've seen in other places. Um, I, too, don't have a ton of time to do research, but a lot of my research is on, on urban voting behavior and sort of the politics of urban areas. Um, you know, I came to, to Boise when the School of Public Service was launched in the summer of 2015, and really it was designed to do two things. One is to prepare students for lives and careers in public service, and so we combined public service disciplines where students would actually get the training, the knowledge and skills they need to be effective public service leaders in the future. And the other reason is to be a resource for decision makers and for citizens throughout the state of Idaho. And so a lot of what we've done in our school is to try to advanced research and, and knowledge that will actually improve the conditions in Idaho, whether that's uh, doing white papers for the legislature or for localities throughout the state, whether that's doing our public opinion research, or whether that's you know doing panel presentations and things in the community, trying to do, I think, what we're trying to do in this radio show, which is try to use academic knowledge and our research experience and, frankly, our time uh, to help um, you know, serve the state of Idaho. Corey, I don't think I realized that you did housing policy. Yeah. I'm sort of embarrassed I should know everything that my <laughs> dean has worked on. Yeah, I study housing, which is, you know, I came here from the Bay Area, and a lot of my research was on sort of, you know, the, the housing boom, the housing crisis in the Bay Area, and how different localities are addressing that, and, you know, as, as um, you know, both from a political science perspective and from a policy perspective, that community is an interesting laboratory for looking at how you know, sort of local decision-making really creates a 
a, a, a monstrosity for the region, uh, which was you know, most local communities in the Bay Area don't produce any new housing at all. Uh, and, and so how the local housing policies really didn't fit well with sort of the regional needs is something that I studied a lot and spent a lot of time with decision makers in the region around, around those issues. So um, that experience that you had, especially kind of spending time with decision makers, translating what you know about uh, particular policy areas into action and helping make better choices, that's really part and parcel of what the School of Public Service is all about today and, and part of what we're um, doing with the, this show. Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about how, how you think this show, The Big Tent, fits in with that broader mission of the School of Public Service? Sure. I mean, for me, I think just when you reached out and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this radio show and said it wouldn't be sort of, you know, mindless punditry. That's when I got interested. Right. I mean, a lot hear a lot on the radio about, you know, who's responsible for the shutdown and who we can blame and how the blame will play out in the midterm elections and those sorts of things. And, you know, I'm a political junkie. I enjoy that sort of stuff. I, I just don't think it necessarily enhances public understanding of sort of where we go from here. So the idea that we actually can, can you know, bring in guests and, and obviously with the incredible knowledge in the room, uh, and I'm talking about the two of you, not me, certainly. <laughs> um, but if we, can, if we can use that in order to sort of help inform decision-making, one of the things I've been surprised about in Idaho is the, um, you know, we have a lot of data um, but frankly, I, I talk to a lot of mayors. I talk to a lot of members of city councils throughout the throughout the state, and the thing they say is, we just don't have the capacity to actually even analyze our data. We we um, use what we can to make informed decisions, but um, I had a legislator this morning say, I really appreciate the survey work you guys do. I don't know much about what the public thinks. We don't hear a lot from the public, and so for a an academic institution to take the time to rigorously study what the public in Idaho thinks is really valuable to to legislators. Again, we don't do that to put our thumb on the scale. We do that because we we hope it would be valuable. Uh, Similarly, if you look at some of the work our new policy institute is doing up and down the state of Idaho, I mean, these are the questions that, you know, the city of Arco has. How do we we improve our economic climate in the city of Arco? Or how do we revitalize downtown in the city of Jerome? Or how do we deal with with the threat of, of illegal fireworks uh, in Cascade. Um, these are local problems where decision makers maybe don't know what other jurisdictions do or don't have time to analyze the data to determine, you know, are our employees, um, are the compensation packages in a ju- jurisdiction competitive with other jurisdictions? They don't really know. I mean, they know when they offer a job and someone takes it or not. But this is the kind of work where I think we have academic expertise and can bring it uh, to bear and help inform decision making. So the idea that we would have a show where we can, you know, talk about what's going on in the community and use I think you know, you know, analysis and and uh, data to inform decision making. This something I think is really exciting. Yeah, I don't know what you um, guys are hearing, but I certainly hear it from students, people in the community, even people in my own family. Maybe even on Facebook, people are hungry for sort of more normalized conversations, calmer conversations, <laughs> even um, that are more informed about uh, issues that are really affecting people's lives on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's something that we're aiming for. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're having that conversation all over the country, but especially here in the Treasure Valley, there's been a lot from a lot of different sectors, from the state legislature to media entities to Boise State, trying to figure out how to engage uh, people who have different perspectives and in civil ways and, and, and not just in terms of being polite, but being kind of pragmatic and functional and being able to solve problems rather than retreat to our corners. And I, I think that's related to the name we chose for this show, right? The Big Tent. Um, and uh, that we want to take a broad-minded perspective. We want to 
um, be able to talk about things from multiple perspectives, provide a forum for people who may not agree all the time um, or uh, to either be a part of the conversation or to have their voice heard um, and uh, and to be inclusive intellectually uh, as well as, you know, thematically, I think. What do you guys think? Um, yeah, I think that's right. I love that metaphor of the big tent that sort of all parties are invited. There's a, sort of a shelter idea where people can come together and and have disagreements and have um, have good, rich conversations. I think that's really important to all of us. Hi, this is Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale. You're hey, tuned you're in to Radio Boise. This your is Jen Schneider, and I'm here with Justin Vaughn and Corey Cook from the School of beyond. Public Service at Boise State. Uh, the Big Tent is a public affairs show, and we're going to start off this segment by talking about the third annual Idaho Public Policy Survey, which was just put out by the School of Public Service. So, Corey, maybe can you talk a little bit about uh, why we do this survey, why this one's important? Sure. So, you know, the university did this survey research for about 20 years, and um, for a variety of reasons, survey research got expensive. Um, there was a perception that maybe we were putting our thumb on the scale a little bit uh, maybe a decade or so ago. The survey was discontinued. Uh, when the school was launched, I, I sat down with folks in the community and said, hey, we're, we're a new college. What sorts of things we, should we be doing? And this was far and away the thing that I heard the most was bring back the public policy survey, uh, that there isn't a good source of survey research in Idaho. We don't know much about public opinion and that that was a really valuable resource to the community. Now, we could probably do it with, with a little bit more academic rigor. Um, it certainly means greater cost. Uh, but if we were to bring it back and do so in a transparent way that actually asked decision makers, what are the types of questions you want to know the answers to, I thought, you know, we could do something that would be really valuable. And, and so, you know, we restarted this when the school was launched with the idea that, you know, we'll actually talk to decision makers about the type of questions they have to make sure that the survey is relevant and that it would be used. Uh, we ask a, a thousand respondents, which is which is more than normal in most survey research now. Most survey research is is very much done on the cheap, um, and so most surveys are five or six hundred respondents. But to be able to say anything about Idaho, uh, given the way the population is dispersed, you need a big sample so you can say something about Eastern Idaho or Northern Idaho. So we said, you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to go all in. We're going to make it a big sample. That way we can say something about subgroups in the population. We're going to do it in a highly rigorous way. We're going to make sure the questions we ask are those that decision makers want the answers to. And we're going to just be totally above board about everything we do. We're going to put all the information on the web, make it accessible to people to use as a way of, you know, another benchmark in terms of, of, of data that, that might, be, might be of value. Justin, you've been really involved in um, designing the survey and um, making sure that it goes out every year. Um, is that who you see as the primary audience as decision makers? Yeah, I think so. Um, although I would, I would brought, I would define decision makers not just as the people in the Capitol voting on things for a few months every year, but um, elected officials in communities across the state, uh, people and you know professional advocates, um, whether they're lobbying for. Uh, business interests or nonprofits or their um, oh, and and really just engaged citizens right who are interested in knowing more about how other people feel about the things that they're passionate about and so by by kind of making sure we do as Corey suggested focus on asking questions that are directly applicable to the policy conversations that are ongoing or are expected to be ongoing uh, and and 
and finding and finding out information that is relevant to the people who are going to be making decisions or going to be involved in those decisions rather than finding information about what we think is interesting or what we think is important um, it goes a long way to uh, to be a useful tool and a credible tool uh, and, and as we've been doing this for three years now each year uh, I think the reception is more favorable um, more and more people are, are interested not only in finding out what the answers to, the, to our questions are, but in, in helping us make sure that we're asking the right questions and the questions that would be most useful for them. So what does the survey tell us about what Idaho's are, Idahoans are uh, concerned about? Well, so we, we, we know that they're concerned about the education in the state and the economy in the state. Uh, those have been the kind of top two issues for the last few years that we've been doing it. Uh, the, they think education is the biggest issue facing the state. It's the one that um, people rate as most important for the state legislature to take action on. It's also the issue that, that they are uh, least favorable in terms of assessing. Uh, one of the things, as Corey mentioned, that we see in the, uh, in, in the surveys pretty consistently across a variety of things, either optimism or contentment with how the economy is doing, how the budget is, how the tax burden is, and so on. The one area which consistently is um, disfavorably evaluated is uh, K-12 education in the state. People like it a little bit more when you ask them about their school district as opposed to the state as a whole, but even then a majority tend to disapprove of what the state's doing. And can you talk a little bit more about that disapproval? What, what is exactly are they disapproving of? So we, well, um, that's a good question. We, the questions that we ask are just a kind of you know, do you, uh, um, what do you think about the system as a whole? What do you think about your, the system in your community? And so we don't drill, we haven't drilled in really to, um, do you think that the teachers are good or do you think that the taxes are too low or whatever? Um, we just, at, the, uh, at this point, we know that, um, that they're kind of consistently for three years been unfavorable. This time we asked a few different questions related more to preparing students for life after school and we know that they are also um, not favorable when it comes to how they think the school system is doing and preparing kids not just for college but for various career training opportunities that might exist after high school. And Corey as a political scientist and also as the dean of the school do you have a sense for why it's important to track these kinds of uh, opinions over time? Yeah, I think, you know, we really do two sets of questions. One set are things like, you know, overall, how do you rate the quality of schools in Idaho? And, and it is important to see changes, right? Um, you know, the state's in the middle of a, of a pretty extensive education reform that's been a five-year process, and being able to see how the public responds to that, I think, is a valuable source of information. <clears throat> we also ask questions that, you know, are, are timely, that may be, you know, on the, on the radar, you know, this year, but may not be next year. And so we try to be able to have a mix of things. We're really providing data that we can see trend lines, as well as things that we may not ask, ask about again. The education numbers are fascinating to me as a, as a political scientist, in part because you know, there's a conversation that's going on in the community about how to read the, our results, which to me is incredibly interesting and valuable as a social scientist, is what is the meaning of fair when we talk about schools, right? And so we give the options of excellent, good, fair, and poor. Um, you know, when we present it to, to some folks, they look at FAIR and say, hey, that means we're doing a pretty good job. And so really what we should be worried about is the poor numbers. Other folks look at it and say, well, FAIR is actually not where we want to be. And that's actually not the right standard. And we should really think of FAIR as being below average, right? And we really want to look at the good and the excellent. And, and to hear 
you know, legislators or people in the community, advocates, regular citizens talk about, you know, what, what is the goal actually for Idaho schools? And what do these results tell us about the reputation of our schools? Um, and really what should we, you know, it, to me is a really exciting conversation to have. And, and I can't say actually you should be reading Ferrer's meaning X or, or Y, but that is actually one of the conversations we've had, um, you know, in response to our survey is, you know, what do these categories really mean? And, you know, is it, are these results really unfavorable, or are these results actually fairly lukewarm? Um, and those things actually are different, right, in determining for policymakers. So for you, the conversation is important. It is. I think it's. I think it's great. Um, again, to me, the the one of the things that that um, is striking is that you know if he, if we can be a third party neutral source of information that gets different sides talking about issues, um, and having a broader understanding of those issues, that's a great role for a university. Um, and I think it's a, a particularly in a state like Idaho, it's something that um, will really advance conversations. And Justin, if people want to learn more about the survey or read it, read the results, where can they find that? Yeah, we have um, the uh, a variety of materials posted online. Uh, if you go to the School of Public Services website, which is sps.boisestate.edu, you'll find a whole bunch of information about all kinds of different things that the School of Public Services is doing, as well as a link to our survey work. And, and if you kind of follow along in there, you'll find um, information about this survey, the previous two years. You'll find information about some surveys of the Treasure Valley that we've done a couple of times. Um, and, and when you get to those pages, you'll find you know a copy of the report you can download. You'll find um, results, uh, the overall results for every question. You'll find a 700-page uh, book of cross tabs, which kind of tells you the relationship between every answer to every question with every other answer to every other question. Um, and uh, you'll find a lot more there. That uh, one of the, one of the things I think we strive to do is is I guess for to have as an analogy to show our math on everything we do right? and um, and explain what we did, how we did it, and why we, how we got there. And uh, I think um, that that has been a good strategy for us so far. And if we can convince people that we're being sincere and objective and trying to untangle the answers to certain questions, then they're going to be more likely to not only take our answer seriously, but maybe come to us six months, a year, two years later and say, hey, I have a question that I need help untangling. Could you guys bring that same neutrality and kind of commitment to, to excellence to help me understand that? Okay, so before we wrap up, I just want to give a shout out to our colleague, Jeff Lyons. He was uh, pretty instrumental in helping design uh, the survey. Absolutely, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. This is 89.9 FM, community radio for Boise and beyond because your voice matters. Okay, you're back with The Big Ten. This is Justin Vaughn. I'm with Corey Cook and Jen Schneider, and we figure we'll wrap this first episode up by talking a little bit about what we find interesting, what we find useful, and kind of where we get our information as we learn about things that are happening, not just here in uh, the Treasure Valley, but uh, nationally. Jen, what, what's on your browser? What are you finding interesting these days? Two words. Ryan Zinke, <laughs> the Secretary of the Interior, um, and he's been in the news a lot in the last few months, so I've been thinking a lot about, um, he's really been the spokesperson for energy dominance, which is uh, sort of a new phrase for thinking about national energy policy. It's not one we've seen before, but it's come in with the Trump administration. And uh, you've probably seen in the news that Zinke is also um, proposing a major shakeup at Interior, so a massive reorganization. 
of uh, BLM and the Park Service. Um, and he's also a pretty controversial uh, leader. So um, there have been some interesting news stories lately talking about a uh, very sort of top-down uh, style, which I think appeals to some people quite a bit and turns others off. Um, but he's been, I think, one of the more prominent folks in the Trump administration who's actually taking a lot of policy action and making some changes. And why is that reorganization going to matter? Well, I think it's going to matter at the individual level because it's going to move a lot of people around the country. So it's going to, uh, my understanding is that it'll reorganize things into s sort of regional level, sort of, you could almost think of it as at the watershed scale, for example, I've been, that's been the metaphor I've heard about. Um, so a lot of bodies are going to move. And then I think, I think the idea is that it's going to make things more efficient. Um, but folks who are watching the bureaucracy under this administration are concerned that there might also be some things that fall through the cracks, in particular with energy development on public lands. And the shift in discourse. So why is energy dominance such an interesting phrase? Why does that? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. I mean, I think for years, um, presidents mostly talked about energy independence or energy security. Those things had a, a lot of overlap and they made sense sort of in terms of thinking about foreign policy and prices at the pump, which is how most Americans think about energy. Um, but energy dominance has a different feel to it. Um, and it connects to some of the other rhetoric, the sort of America first messaging that's coming out of the, out of the administration. And there's um, folks in my field note that there's a, a gendered component to talking about dominance in particular. Um, there may also be um, I don't know, what, what do I want to say here? Um, there's a sort of shift in leadership style that is implied by the word dominance, where it's going to be very top-down and um, open to only certain types of voices. Um, so we'll see how that all shakes out. But right now, um, we're watching it pretty closely. Mm. One of the interesting things and uh, that I think, you know, with this the Zinke story, of over the weekend, a... Uh, a couple of interesting things were stories were broken about him, um, uh, and they were bro broken by a journalist who works for Axios, right? New media company. The, they were first reported in those daily online newsletters that get released, right? Um, one was the, the Zinke's style has maybe started to grate the president the wrong way. Another one was some of the strange things that are happening in the Interior Department, like for example, when he's there, they put a flag on top of the building. Uh, and um, it's a, a military a, tradition. And, and yeah. there's a but but of um, a some phraseology about respecting the Department of Interior has has kind of become almost this quasi cult of personality, right? The Ryan Zinke is Interior, and um, and and so it's interesting. I mean, so part of that is that kind of um, uh, you know uh, hacky uh, commentary that we don't want to do, right? But part, but what's interesting to me there is how a very much so 21st century style journalist and journalism operation broke those stories. And I think it tells you a lot about um, the future of media, the future of how we're going to get our information, uh, and um, the future of who elites are going to be turning to when they have information to share or leak, as it may be. I will say that I think Zinke has invited some of the cult of personality discussions. I mean, on, on Twitter, in his Twitter bio, for example, he compared himself favorably with Roosevelt, called himself a Roosevelt conservationist. I, I think he actually is 
in practice looking more like a Reagan Republican um, in terms of how he uh, presents himself uh, to the public, if not in policy terms. Um, but he is, uh, I think, building a persona, a public persona that invites some of those um, critiques. Yes, mm-hmm. and in some ways, I think maybe personality-wise, maybe it is consistent with that Teddy Roosevelt persona. Mm-hmm. The quality of the pro- of the policy is very different, right? It's more James Watt than Cecil exactly. Andrus, right? Yes. But uh, but certainly in that um, this kind of strident macho idea of uh, uh, and, and where, where dominance makes a lot of sense, right? That has a lot to do, lot in common with Teddy Roosevelt's approach to public life. Although if you think about the Reagan era, that's also when movies like Rambo came on. So there was maybe not in Reagan himself, but there was a sort of resurgence of a particular type of masculinity that was happening mm. at that time. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good way to finish things off here of this first episode of The Big Tent. We'll be back with you next week um, and uh, have more to share about what's happening in Idaho, what's happening nationally, and and how people at the School of Public Service and and throughout the Treasure Valley can help uh, us all think through and talk about many of these important but sometimes complicated issues. So uh, for Corey Cook and Jen Schneider, uh, thanks very much for listening, and see you uh, next week. Music is Rooms by Portrayal. Thanks for listening to me.